Hello, Crossroads family and guests. We are so glad that you tuned into our podcast today. We want to let you know about our website, wherelifechanges.com. There you can find more about church events, ministries, and giving options. Check out Pastor Lee's blog at pastorlee.net. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at crcc underscore social. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash wherelifechanges. We really hope that the message today would inspire and encourage you to worship passionately, serve others, and share truth. Now let's jump into the message. Yes. Lots, lots going on. Um, I had a busy week this last week. I want to tell you all a little bit about it. Uh, Fridays are my day off. I know y'all thought I got six days off, but I don't. And uh, so uh, I was at home doing some uh, honeydews. Y'all know what honeydews are, you know, putting, I mean, I was doing stuff like you wouldn't believe. I mean, basically building a new house in a day. I mean, that's pretty much what I was doing, you know, changing air filters and uh, I had to fix a toilet seat, you know. And so it, it, I'm, I'm trying to get the house ready. My, my son, my youngest son is turning 17. Yes. I don't know if y'all are clapping like you're happy or sympathy, or I, I can't tell what's going on there. And uh, so anyway, I'm trying to get the house ready, and, and so I'm, I'm working. I'm working hard. I'm all sweaty, and uh, I got, got my work clothes on, and, and some kids are starting to show up, and uh, a family for the church shows up just as I'm walking out uh, to take the trash out. And I got the old air filters, you know, and it's got all that that schluff on it, right? And now it's all over my t-shirt and everything and all over my, you know, things stick to your head when you don't have hair, you know? And so <laughs> it's all over me and I walk out and they just kind of look at me like that. Just, I'm not even joking, just like, and I said, hey, what's going on? And uh, he says, pastor, I've never seen you in shorts. <laughs> And his wife said, I've never seen your legs. <laughs> and she's looking at my legs, and I can tell what she's thinking is, those are the skinniest legs I've ever seen. And now you know why I wear, wear pants all the time. And, and, so, and it was funny because just a little bit earlier, I had to go to, to Home Depot, or I think it was Lowe's, I don't know, one of those places you know, where men go. Obviously, I don't go that often. And, uh, and so I'm there, and I'm walking through, and I hear Pastor Lee, and I turn around, I can't, and I hear Pastor Lee, and I turn around, and, and finally I see this young lady walking toward me, and she said, is that you? <laughs> and I realized who it is. I said, yes, it's me. <laughs> so she comes up, gives me a hug. She said, I didn't recognize you. Just because I had shorts on. You understand? <laughs> Just because. I, so I'm, I'm telling this story yesterday. We were at Leon Springs and, and trying to get ready and, and uh, undoing the the church in a box type thing. And so I'm telling this story. And one of the guys there said, today, when I saw you, I thought the same thing because I was in shorts again yesterday. And he said, I've never seen you in shorts. This is a guy who was born in the church, practically been in the church forever. And uh, so I want y'all to know I wear shorts. (laughs) It's important for you to know that when it's hot, I do wear shorts. I do not water ski in pants. I wear a bathing suit, okay? I just want you to know. And, and if you see me, and I don't look like I should, 
don't worry, bring me a pair of pants, then you'll recognize me, all right? We'll be okay. Sometimes you just don't look like you're supposed to look, I guess, right? And you need, you need, <laughs> you need a little makeover. And uh, today I want to talk to you about spiritually, sometimes we just don't look like how we should. Sometimes we just don't look like how we should. And we need a little bit of help. We need a little bit of makeover. The Bible says you have been made in the image of God. Amen? The problem is that sometimes we look more like we're looking at those mirrors in the funny house and it's all messed up and discombobulated and we don't look like the image of God. So who I've been made to be, I don't always uh, look like and I need to be redone. I need to be remade. Whenever we get outside of the image of God, it's usually because the spirit of death has gotten a little bit too much room in our soul that day or that week, or that month, or that year, or whatever it is. And so because the spirit of death is too much, too present in my life, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I, I, I'm selfish, I'm doing all those kinds of things, and I'm destroying myself from the inside out. So spiritually, when you don't have your pants on, and you need to look like you're supposed to look, God has to revive you by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about being revived. Now, when we talk about revival in the church, usually we have defined that as that being the church is full of people and everybody's getting saved and everybody is baptized and everybody's shouting and it's a beautiful, beautiful day. We say, we're in revival. Revival, Lord. Right? And, and so, but what I would say to you is that is the result of revival. It's not actually revival. Revival happens so that that can happen. And before you see all of that, you have to be revived in your own spirit. Amen? And so a lot of times we, we pray for revival, but the reality is before a church can experience revival, there have to be more people individually experiencing personal revival than there are not. In a family, if a family is going to have a revival, there have to be more family members experiencing personal revival than not. If you want to see a nation in revival, then you need more churches experiencing revival than not. If you want to see the world come to God, you need to see more nations having revival than not. Amen? And so all of revival begins with you. It begins with me. And many times we're praying for something that we see, and we don't understand what we should be praying is revive me, oh God. Help me get my pants on right. Help me look like I'm supposed to. Let me be operating in the image of God. Amen? So I want to, first of all, I want to define what it looks like to live in revival, to live in personal revival. If you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, when you get there, say amen. Or if you're using the screen and you can see it, say amen. See how easy we make it? Too easy. Verse 42. Now this is... After the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come, and, and, and so we'll talk about that in a minute, but this is afterward, and I want you to see how they are living, and I want to say they are living in personal revival. Verse 42, they devoted, everybody say devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now that sounds like church to me. They are devoted to church. Now, don't get wrapped up in Sunday morning coming to a big round building like this. That's not what I mean. 
They are devoted to the idea of gathering with saints, brothers and sisters in the Lord in order to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to pray, to heal, to worship. They are growing together and it says they are devoted to it. One of the reasons we're not experiencing personal revival in the, the, the Western Christianity, the United States, Canada, Europe, there is no revival going on because we're not devoted to the things of God. We, we have gotten so far away, and, and instead of being devoted to the things of God, we do it when we have time. I go to church when I have time. I'll read the Bible when I have time. I'll pray when I have time. And, and too often, the only time we pray is when we're in trouble, and then we know how to pray real good. But then when everything is going well, we we almost forget about God. And and so if you want to have a personal revival, if you want to live in personal revival, you have to be devoted to the things of God, the things of the church, the things that we do, Bible reading, prayer, study, meditation, serving. You have to be devoted. Don't let anything get in the way of you doing what God has called you to do. Amen. What we do is we get so distracted by the things on TV and the things of life and all the issues and the anxieties and we get stressed and we get tired and all that stuff is happening. And then we forget, oh, I should have prayed today. Next thing you know, it's two days, three days, four days, and we have not spent time with God. And so our nation, our, our, our Western civilization is not experiencing revival. You go to Africa, you go to Brazil, you go to places in South America, there is revival happening, but they will walk 20 miles in the heat, foot just to get to church and we're like really i gotta drive 10 minutes what have we done to ourselves as americans right no wonder let's keep reading verse 43 everyone was filled with the awe everybody say awe awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles now don't get this mixed up with miracles it says all of the wonders and signs in other words they could see god working when you're living in personal revival you have an awareness of where god is moving in your life and in the world you can look at everything that's going on tragedy crisis whatever it is and in the midst of that you can see god is still moving God is still doing something. I see him doing something good. I know he's going to do something good. I can see how he's changing hearts, moving this, mending relationships, getting everything set. Even in everything is bad. When, when we wake up, most of us are focused on what we can see. But the Bible says, focus your eyes on the unseen. Focus your eyes on the things of God so that you can be in awe. If we would do that, we would be in awe all the time. I mean, God is always working. He is always doing something, and he is everywhere all the time. Amen? And so if you want to have personal revival, you have to get up in the morning and quit looking at the traffic and see who in the traffic needs prayer. Amen? Oh, y'all don't want to pray for people in traffic? You don't like that idea, do you? (laughs) All right, let's keep going. That's like a four more sermons. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. When you're living in personal revival, you are caring for one another. You are caring for one another. Amen? Last Sunday, we had a family going through a difficult financial time, and they spoke with Pastor Vanessa, and then she told me, and I was talking this uh, family, and they said, all, all we have is just a little bit of food, and, and we're kind of out of money and everything. 
Pastor Vanessa contacted her, her life group, all of these guys right here, the 20-ish people. And within a couple hours, they had raised $1,500. $1,500. When you're living in personal revival, you care for You don't just say, I'll pray for you, but you actually pray. You, you don't tell somebody, I hope things go well. You move, you take action to help their life go well. You salt your conversation. You make The Bible says that God is making all things beautiful. Amen? Our job is to bring the beauty of God into this nasty, ugly world. And when you're living in personal revival, that's what you do. You figure out, how do I make this moment? This You don't gripe about it. You don't complain about it. You don't tell God, why did you put me in this place? You figure out, God, how can I be used to make this more beautiful? Amen? That's what personal revival looks like. Let's keep reading. In verse 46, it says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Everybody say every day. Now, I want you to think about what's happening. Jesus has just been crucified just 50 days earlier. All the disciples run and hide. They are scared out of their mind. They're afraid the same group that was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, are going to come and string them up now. And so the the scripture says that that after Christ died, that that they went into a room and they were living in fear and they were just up there hoping nothing ever happened. Now the Holy Spirit has come. Now they're living in personal revival and they're just walking around. That's right. I love Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Just going to the temple courts where the Pharisees are. The same religious leaders who hated Jesus, the same ones who who lied about him and and took him to Pontius Pilate and and finally led him to the cross, the very same people, they're walking around just high-fiving each other because their Jesus is alive again, amen? And they have no fear. Living in personal revival is no fear. It doesn't mean fear doesn't come up. You can't control that. But when it does, the Holy Spirit quickens you quick, and you subdue the fear by the power of God, understanding that whatever you're worried about, God's already got it figured out. He's already got a way. He's got a plan. He is a God who provides according to his riches and glory. You don't worry about it. You give it to him, and you keep on singing your song. Amen? And so to live in personal revival is to lay down the fear. Lay down the stress, lay down the anxiety, stress about money, stress about relationships, stress about the world, stress over politics. We lay it down because we are so convinced that our God is still God. Amen? This is personal revival, personal. This is what it looks like. It's not the euphoric feeling that we feel when we come and sing together. That is powerful. But you come in here and sing and have all the euphoria you want and raise your hands and jump around and dance and, and do it. And you lay on the floor. I don't care what you, you can do all that stuff, walk outside and be scared to death of everything. Personal revival changes your posture in life. It changes how you respond. It changes how you interact. It changes everything. Amen? All right, let's keep reading. I'm almost done with the introduction here. Not sure about those laughters. Okay. It says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then you see the result of the revival. But it says, They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Everybody say glad. Glad. When you get into this word in the Greek, it means jumping for joy. Jumping for joy. Y'all want to practice that? 
about like you want to pray for people in traffic, I see. So now remember, they're in the midst of an extreme, tense, religious moment. And they're walking out in the temple courts with no fear, jumping for joy. To live in personal revival, you are no longer a slave to your circumstance. What is happening out here has no bearing on your heart, your mind, your spirit. You are seeking God with all that you have. When something comes up that's not of God, you take it captive. You make it obedient to God. The Holy Spirit comes over you. You live in power, not in fear. It changes everything. You don't let what anybody says, what anybody does get to you, but you let it in. You give it to God, and you live victoriously. You become a child of God, no longer a slave to your mama, your daddy, things that your babysitter did, things that other people did. You You are no longer under their dominion. You are free in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it means to live in personal revival. Yeah, let's praise God for that. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Amen? Now, you, you, I can't revive you. I can't even revive myself. I can put pants on, but I can't revive myself. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so I don't want to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you how to have revival because I can't do that. What I do want to share with you is how do you posture yourself? How do you position yourself to be open and ready for the Holy Spirit to revive you in order that you may live in personal revival? Amen? And so I'm going to get you to turn back to Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 1 there. It says, when the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Praise God. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Have you ever been so on fire for God that somebody thought you were drunk? You ever had so much peace, people wonder what you were taking? Ever had so much joy, somebody says, give me whatever it is, I want some? Most of the time, what we act like and what we look like doesn't inspire the world to want anything we got. But when we get in personal revival and begin to reflect the glory of God, people crave God. 
People crave the love of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, the friend of God, the father of God. There, there are people who need God. And when we look like him, when we reflect his glory, what the scripture says, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. When you are living in personal revival, it changes how people see you. It changes how they interact with you. God can do miracles through you. He can empower you to change their heart, change their life, change their family. God can do anything when you get your pants on right. Amen. I'm going to change the name of this message to put your pants on. I'm kidding back there. I'm kidding. (laughs) So how do we do this? This is Pentecost. Everybody say Pentecost. So Pentecost is a, a special day on the Jewish calendar. And so by God pouring out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he's teaching us, if you want to understand this, you got to understand Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is a a special day in the Jewish calendar that is built on top of other days and festivals. All right? Everybody say amen. And so I want to talk to you about these. The very first one in the Jewish year is called Passover. Everybody say Passover. Now, remember Passover was the day when the Israelites who were enslaved by Egypt and they had been crying out to God, and God sent Moses, and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, I don't think so. And then you had all the plagues, the frogs, the flies, the gnats, the blood, the darkness, all that kind of stuff is happening. And now God is saying, I want you to take a lamb, bring it into your family, make sure it's one year old, make sure there are no bones broken, roast it, eat the whole thing, don't leave anything left, and then take the blood, put it on the top and the sides of the doorpost. And I'm going to send the angel of death. And when it sees the blood on your doors, it will pass over you. But for all the Egyptians, it will take the firstborn son. And and so I cannot experience Pentecost unless I live out Passover. Now, we tend to think about the blood, the blood of Christ, and, and the top and the sides as foreshadowing the cross of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see what the family did. They came in, they took a lamb at its peak in the, the highest point of its strength. When Jesus was crucified, remember just a week before, the whole city came out saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were ready to make him king, and that's when he was crucified, at, at, at right at the peak of his ministry. And it says that the lamb had to be without defect, and so Jesus was sinless. And it says they were to take him and eat all of it. We don't experience personal revival because we don't take all of him in. We need to ingest his death as food that gives us life. Y'all with me? This is a mindset. And so if I'm going to posture myself to receive a pouring out of the Holy Spirit, my mindset every day needs to be taking in the death of Christ as what gives me life so that I can say God has been good to me and it all started at the cross. Because he died for me, I am forgiven. Because I am forgiven, I can receive the grace of God. In the grace of God, he's given me a wife. He's given me kids. He's given me church. He's paid my bills. He's put food on my table. He's done miracle after miracle. He's done things I don't even know about that I'll find out in heaven, all because he died for me. And so there's this mindset. I'm waking up every day saying, God died for me, and look at everything that has made possible. And and think about the Israelites. When they left Egypt, it says that Miriam got her tambourine out and started singing. Somebody bring me a tambourine. I want to sing. Yeah, about like you want to pray for people in traffic. I get it. 
She was joyful. When you begin to ingest the death of Christ and say, he did that for me, and you take him all in, and that's where you get your life, you will live thankful. You will live grateful. You'll take your eyes off of what you can see, and you will be so inundated with what you can't that you will have a grateful heart, a thankful heart all day, every day. Amen? Now, right after Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Y'all say unleavened. Meaning you had to have bread without yeast. Now, the yeast represented sin. And so this feast started the very next day, and it lasted for seven days. So you got two things going on here. One, the yeast represents sin. So God is saying, I need for you to purge the sin out of your life. Purge it out. Purge it out. And he says, you're going to do it for seven days. Now, seven is a symbolic number, meaning perfection. So in other words, he's saying, I want you to pursue perfect holiness. Too often, we look at sin in our life, things that we know that God is not pleased with, and we give ourselves a pass. I do it. We all do it. But if I'm going to position myself for Pentecost to be able to have this personal revival, I cannot give myself a pass at anything. When you think about getting yeast out, yeast is a powder. And so they would go through their house, and I mean totally clean it out, sweep every corner, do everything they could to get all the yeast out, and it was a sign that they were serving God. It is a sign that you're purging sin, and God is calling you to holiness. If you want to experience the love and the peace and the joy that makes you look drunk, you've got to purge the sin out, not give yourself a pass. Now, when we think about holiness, many times we, we think, well, God's just giving me all these rules I got to do. No, this is God saying, get rid of the stuff that's ruining your marriage. Get rid of the attitude that's making you a bad parent. Get rid of the, the, the resentment from what happened to you as a childhood because it's killing your joy. This is just God saying, get rid of everything that's not good for you so you can forgive, so you can live, so you can love, so you can have the life abundant that I have planned for you. This is God saying, get it all out. It's not God being mean. It's God saying, I got more for you than that. Amen? And so purge the sin and let God do that. So you got Passover, you got unleavened bread. The very next day was a feast of first fruits. Everybody say first fruit. Now this was a, a, a day, it was tied to agriculture, tied to harvest. And it was before the harvest came in. And so it, it just a little bit had come in. And so they would give an offering of just that little bit. They didn't know how much they were going to get. They just knew it was harvest time. A little bit had come in. And so first fruit is an offering saying, God, I don't even know how much you're going to give me. I may not have much out there, but I'm going to worship you because I trust in you. I trust that you'll give me what I need, that when we go out and harvest, that you will give me what I need. And, and so they would wave an offering, and then there was a law that says you can't take it all. You got to leave some crumbs out there for the homeless for, for the people that don't have anything. And so there was this mindset, I am trusting God so much that I'm giving him something, even though I don't even know how much he's going to give me, and I'm leaving some left over for people I don't even know. And so this is the Feast of First Fruits. If you want to experience Pentecost, you got to live out First Fruits. And there has to be this mindset, even, even if I don't know what God's going to give me, I trust him to give me what I need. I trust him to take care of all of, I, all of uh, everything that I could want, everything that I could ever need. I trust that he will be there. He has promised I will supply all of your needs. 
Amen? And, and the way we do that is we give back to him. It's an agricultural thing. They were giving income back. And so when I give income back, it is a way of saying, God, I trust you so much that I can throw this money into the plate. I trust you so much I can give this to a charity. I trust you so much I can send this to the Red Cross. I trust you so much I can give my friends some money when they lose their job. I trust you so much I don't have to hoard it all. And that has to be our mindset. You can't have Pentecost without first fruit. Now, the, the Feast of First Fruit was also called the Feast of Weeks. Everybody say weeks. Because you would go seven weeks now, 49 days, and then Pentecost is on the 50th day. Everybody with me? So the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, 50 days they get to Mount Sinai. 50 days on that day they received the law of God. And God enters them into covenant. He says, I will take care of you if you will follow these laws. And so they agree. They said, we'll do everything you say. And so that's what they do. And so during this time now, they're not in the promised land. They've had to go through the wilderness. They've had to do all that. I was at the life retreat. Uh, I don't remember when that was. I'm old. I forget. So we were there. And, uh, and, and so I thought, I'm going to go on a pilgrimage, go on a little walk and be aware of God. And so it's built on a golf course, and I have learned how to pray a lot on golf courses. Like, Lord, help me find a ball so I can keep playing. And so they had some of the, uh, the golf cart pass still there, so I was walking on the, side, on the little sidewalk, and then it kind of ran out, and I thought, well, I'll just walk in the brush for a while, and I'll go around all the, the boundaries of everything. And so I'm walking, and, and I'm looking and, and trying to fully be aware of all that God is doing. I think, look at this beautiful nature. There's a river and a waterfall, and God is just amazing and everything he did, and these beautiful trees and everything. And I said, even this brush, this nasty old West Texas-looking brush, it is beautiful because God made it. And I saw this bird go by, and I saw a cardinal, and I thought, whoo, that is gorgeous. And I started thinking about everything God has made, and then suddenly I had this thought, you know, God made rattlesnakes. And so... I learned how to run in Jesus' name, and I, and I ran out of the brush. Cause I got, I'll be honest with you, I got a little nervous. I had my pants on, and I ran through the brush, and I got somewhere safe, just as they were killing a water moccasin right there. So I was glad I ran. Um, <laughs> so the Feast of First Fruits is saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not in the promised land. I'm in the wilderness. My life stinks, but I'm going to worship you anyway. My marriage is falling apart, but I'm going to worship you anyway. I lost my job, but I'm going to worship you anyway. It, it's this mindset that I am worshiping God for who he is, not for what he's going to do. And, and so you have this seven weeks. Again, you have this seven thing where God is saying this is a, a, a perfect moment where you're learning how to worship him perfectly, not because of what he's done, not because of what he will do, but simply because he is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen? You can praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen? And if you want to live personal revival, if you want to experience Pentecost, you got to live Passover, you got to live the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you have to live out the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks. Amen? And when you do, you position yourself. Now, I'm not going to tell you what God will do, but I can tell you that he is faithful.
And the Bible says, as I consecrate myself, he will pour himself out into me and make me holy. And he will purge and cleanse. And so the work that I do trying to follow him, he comes in and he changes my heart. So now I can forgive those that I couldn't forgive before. I can let go of those things that have been bothering me for years. I can trust God where I couldn't trust him before. And the next thing you know, you find yourself devoted to the things of God. Because let's face it, when we come here, we encourage one another. We inspire one another. We love on one another. And we experience God as we interact. This is the body. Amen? Jesus said this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. And we always read that and we think about the crucifixion. But remember, we are the body too. And so we must partake of one another and share our lives together. And as we do that, then life is born and we are revived. Amen? That's what makes church special. That's what makes Bible study special. That's what makes it special when you call somebody on the line and just say, hey, I just want to pray for you today. Amen? Let's get devoted. Let's, let's, let's bring ourselves to the edge of the Holy Spirit pouring himself into us that we can live the life he's called us to live. They may think we're drunk, and we'll say, no, we just put pants on. And they'll know. Amen? Stand, stand up. Y'all don't know to laugh or not, do you? Y'all stand up and let's pray. Okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place. We thank you for this group of people. We thank you for this body. Help us, Heavenly Father, to live out Passover, to remember how much you've done for us in your death, to live out the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to, to purge sin from our life, to pursue you in holiness, to live out first fruits and trust you with all that we have, to live out the feast of weeks, Lord, to worship you even in the wilderness. And Lord, we trust you that then you will touch us, make us new, and do something new in this place. Revive us, O oh God. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said together, Amen. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for your time and listening today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share us with your friends. Also, remember to follow us on social media. If you ever find yourself in the area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning at 1040 a.m. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.